Well, good morning. I tell you, the, uh, <clears throat> the beauty of being able to, to preach twice is you get to hear a choir like that twice. Um, I have been in a lot of churches and preached in a lot of places, and I tell you, man, the way worship is brought to you before the word comes makes all the difference in the world. And I'm just, I'm thankful for the choir. I'm thankful for what they do. Um, now I see why Brooks makes it look so easy up here. It's because uh, he's got that. Well, I'm, I'm thankful that uh, he did not, uh, he called last night and said that he had everything covered. And so I slept like a baby last night because I was like, I don't know to get up here. <clears throat> and then at 7 o'clock this morning, <clears throat> I wake to my phone ringing. And uh, he said, hey, uh, you got it? And I'm like, all right, yeah. And then he decides he's going to stick around and hang out in here with us. So, you know, we're just going to have a good old time this morning. Um, I love, I love the Gospels. Uh, last, first time I spoke here, I spoke out of the Gospel of Luke, and that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. I, I absolutely love the Gospels. The Gospel of Luke is my favorite um, for many reasons. I love to read the words of Jesus. I love uh, to read all that he says, uh, and, and we're going to look at uh, something Jesus tells us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Luke chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 25 through 33. I just, I, I can't get over uh, all the things he says. I'm a scaredy cat. Um, <clears throat> I don't, well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I, things scare me. There are some things I don't like. I don't like spiders. Uh, in fact, God and I are going to have a conversation when I get to heaven. Why were they created? Don't really know. To scare the, the jeepers? I don't know. You know, uh. I was telling the story to somebody a little earlier. Uh, my wife likes to start conversations with, you should have heard the way Wade screamed when the spider was in the, the bathroom this morning. It's, it's really sad that something so small can make me run and hide and in fear and in, in absolute crippling fear. Uh, I, I fear um, a lot of things. One thing I, I fear probably more than anything is doctors. I'm not a big fan of doc. I'm not a big fan of doctor's offices. Uh, in fact, there, you know, that and, uh, yeah, no, that, yeah, that's probably the thing that I fear the most. And, and look, I, I know some doctors and, and you're great people and I love you. I just don't want to see you in your office. Uh, because as a kid, my mom would take me to the doctor if I had the least little sniffle. Uh, and, and we went to my doctor, uh, his name was Dr. Chung. I remember it because it's burned into my brain, uh, what the man did to me. Every time we would go to the doctor, no matter what it was, I would end up getting a shot. <clears throat> I mean, every time. In fact, it would start out with, where are we going? You're going to the doctor. Oh, good. So I'm getting a shot today? Yeah. Okay. And I, I, I just, I hated them. They, they scare, needles, needles scare me. Uh, but I, I've come to understand now later in life, um, the reason the doctor gave me the shot was because it helped me. Uh, it cured me. It fixed me. When I was sick, it made me well. Uh, when I was hurting, it numbed the pain. It helped me get through things. It was there for my benefit. Now, let's not be... It, they hurt. Shots hurt. I got a tetanus shot a while back because I cut my thumb, almost cut my thumb off at a, on a mission trip, and, and it hurt, and I cried, and it was painful. But it was for my benefit because what would have come down the road would have been far worse. This morning we're going to talk about uh, Jesus loved to tell parables, and I, and I love Jesus 
for many reasons, but I love reading the parables because he spoke to us right where we are and he explained things in a way we could understand. He, he, he gave us references and used examples that spoke to the people that he was talking to. When he spoke, people said, man, I get that. And he was very loving and very gracious and we, and we, we think of that often, but I want to talk to you today about when Jesus gives us a shot in the arm. Because I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of what we're reading this morning is going to hurt. It has hurt me, but it has helped me. Sometimes we need a shot in the arm to remind us of why it is he died and what it is he set to accomplish on that cross. In two weeks, we'll be celebrating Easter, one of my favorite times of the year for, for many reasons, but but one, I love to think of what my Savior did for me on the cross. And the fact that He wasn't kept there, that three days later He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and, and He's alive and He will come back one day for us in like, in like way. I, I'm excited about that. This morning I want to talk to us about a, a shot in the arm. I've realized things cost money. Lots of money. Children cost money. Um, cars cost money. I think I've realized this more since financial peace because I don't have any money. <laughs> but today I want to talk to you about a different kind of cost. I want to talk to you about the cost of discipleship. And this is where God kind of gives us the shot in the arm. So, so let's, let's pray and then, and then we're, we're going to get into it. Father, uh, I pray you speak through your word. Pray God it be less about me and more about you. I pray it accomplishes what you desire for it to. And God, I pray as your word teaches us that, that we glorify you in all that we do. I pray for each person here. God, they have individual needs. They have individual desires. God, things are going on in their lives. God, I pray that all those things are taken out of their mind. And God, they are solely focused on what you teach this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at the first part here. Chapter 14, verse 25. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to him, Now here's, here's what's going on. Jesus has been teaching. He's been in different areas of, of, uh, of his country, and he's done a lot of healing. He's, he's done a lot of miracles, and people have seen a lot of the good things that he's done and a lot of the great things that have been going on, and he's, and he's healed people, and he's made you know uh, people that were, were low at heart. He's... He's made them new. He's taught that the, the poor will inherit the kingdom. And, and he's taught all these great things. And so naturally, when these things happen, large crowds start to follow him. Now imagine, Jesus is walking from wherever he was. He's now going to Jerusalem. It's interesting enough that he is going to Jerusalem to die. He has that in his head. He knows that that is what the future holds for him. He knows that the next place that he goes will be the place with which he gives his life. And he's leading a group of people there. And that has to be in his mind. And you cannot miss that. Do not forget his mind solely focused on the cross. And so people are following him. And as they're following him, maybe they're talking to each other. And maybe they're talking about what he's been saying. And they're saying things like, 
you know, man, he, he's, he's teaching these things and they're radical and they're, they're out of this world. And, 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 and I'm so excited for what he's teaching about this kingdom that we're going to be heirs of and, and we're going to live with him and rule and reign with him. And that sounds awesome. And maybe they're talking about who was the greatest amongst the followers. And some were saying, man, I've been with him uh, since he was in Capernaum. And, and I've been with him since he was in Samaria. And others have said, man, I was there with him when he turned water into wine. I've been there from the beginning. And Jesus, maybe he hears this. And he turns around. And he pulls them in. And he says some things that's just going to blow them out of this world. It's just going to knock them square on their hind end. Look what he says. He said, now large crowds were going with him. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? Let's read that again. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What? You think about what the crowds were thinking. They were like, wait a minute, hold on, man. I was all good with you saying I was going to be rich and I was going to be a king or a prince or whatever, a duke. I don't know, but I, I'm cool with that. What are you talking about? And it, it was confusing to them, and, and, and they hear this, and, and, and their minds are just blown. When I read this the first time, I didn't understand it. I have to hate my mom. I'm a mama's boy. Are you kidding me? I love my mama. I can't hate her. I mean, she sacrificed a tremendous amount for me. My mother gave up who knows what so, so that I could be well taken care of. I'm to hate my father and my mother. But not only that, I'm to hate my wife. Love my wife. It's the best part of me. I'm supposed to hate my children. Have you met my kids? I love them. I love that little girl. That, she is the apple of my eye. She is absolutely, positively everything to me. And my little boy, I mean, he's me. <laughs> You've seen him. He's, he's just a little me. I love him. I'm supposed to hate them? Let me see if I can explain this as, as best I can. And this probably doesn't even come close to it. Cherry and I have been married 10 years. Awesome. I'm, I'm very thankful. When we got married... Shortly after, we got married in December, and June was my birthday, and so my wife decided she was going to get her a dog for my birthday. <clears throat> I wanted a bulldog. She got a golden retriever. You know, and, and you do what you got to do. And so we now have this 85-pound lap dog that, you know, eats a gargantuan amount of food and sleeps under my bed and makes random noises at 2 o'clock in the morning, scaring me half to death. This is, this is my life for 10 years. But we, we love that dog. It's, it's a part of our life. It's, it's a great dog. It's good with our kids. It's, it's part of our family. You know, we, we love our dog. Four years ago, I was, had the privilege of, of bringing Abigail into our home, of adopting uh, my sweet little girl who uh, I love dearly. And if you've talked to me often, you hear me talk about my wife, my children, and God. I love my little girl. A year ago, my wife um, miraculously got pregnant with a little boy. He's me, and I love him. Here's what Jesus means. Understanding this passage, he's turning to these people who have families, who have parents, 
who have children, who have loved ones that they've left, and they're following him. And he's saying, here's what it means to truly be a follower of me. Someone were to take my dog and my children, and they were to put a gun to either one of their heads, and they were to say, you need to choose right now which one. I would choose to keep my children a hundred times out of a hundred. I wouldn't even hesitate. And I love that dog. But in comparison, the love that I have for my children, in comparison, is hatred towards that animal. Jesus says he cannot have any rivals in your life. You cannot have rivals in your life. There can be nothing that comes between him and you. Nothing. You know what that means in the original language? Nothing. There can be nothing in your life that separates you and God. If there is, then it has become an idol. My family, if I put them ahead of God, is an idol in my life. My children, if I put them ahead of God, becomes an idol in my life. I love them beyond all other things. I would lay down my life for any of them without, without a hesitation. But if I put myself, if I put my children or my wife or anything in front of God, it's an idol. And God said he'll have no rivals. He'll have no rivals. God has to be number one. When Terry and I got married, she, she said she loved the fact that she was number two in my life. That God absolutely was number one. That there was no doubt in her mind that I will do what God has called me to do over what makes her feel good or what she desires. Now, I care about that. But I care more about what God wants in my life. Some of us have rivals in our lives. Some of us have things in our life that we just need to get rid of. I have the privilege of teaching some of the, some of the, some of the best students uh, I've ever met. We, we, we have some phenomenal students. I had a sixth grader come up to me a couple weeks ago talking to me because we've been talking about this whole concept for a while. And they said to me, Wade, there are some extracurricular activities in my life that I've been doing. They're not bad. But they're causing me to not be able to honor God the way I want to. How do I tell my parents that I want to stop doing this that I've done since I was a child? How do I tell them? And so we talked about it. But you know what? I walked away saying, man, a sixth grader gets it better than I do. They get this concept. Whatever it is, good things, bad things, uh, whether it's people, places, if it's sports, if it's whatever it is, if it causes you to choose it rather than God, it is an idol and it is bad. And that is not easy for me to say and that is not easy for you to hear, I know. There cannot be rivals in our lives. Because if there is, they will end up destroying us and everything we hold dear. So Jesus says you cannot have rivals in your life. Let's keep going. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So not only does he tell me that I can't have any rivals in my life, he's telling me that I can't refuse anything he wants for me. I can have no refusals in my life. You know what the cross was? We, we've been talking about it. The last four weeks we've been doing basically what, what boils down to the doctrine of Christ. And we're going to finish it up right before Easter. 
on Wednesday nights, and, and we talked two weeks ago about the cross and what the cross was and why when he said you have to carry your cross, it doesn't mean what we think of today because we see pretty ones that are put up in churches and we wear them around our necks and that's great. We want to celebrate it. But when he said take up your cross, he was saying take up the instrument of torture and death in your life. It would be the same today as saying everybody pick up an electric chair and carry it. When you say that, you understand beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's nothing good or beautiful about it. You cannot refuse God. You cannot say, God, I love you and I give you my life, but I cannot do that. You can have no rivals, but you cannot refuse God. God is trying to get some of you to do great things for him, but some of us, we are stubborn. And our first inclination is to say, no, that's too much to ask. I can't let that go. I can't do this thing. That's too much. There's a, there's a term in the English language called oxymoron. And I think uh, it's very um, apparent and true here. You cannot call God Lord and say no in the same sentence. You cannot call God Lord and say no in the same sentence. Either He's the Lord of your life or He's not in your life. Either He is the Lord, Master, Boss, whatever of your life or He isn't. And for some of us, I know that that we're thinking to ourselves, man, this would cause me to make a radical shift in my life. And yes, that's what I'm calling you to. More importantly, that's what God is calling you to. A radical shift in your thinking. No rivals. No refusals. If you read the book of Hebrews and you flip to chapter 11 and you read the end of it, chapter 11 is the Heroes Hall of Fame and and it it talks about all the people who lived by faith and the great things that they did and it's a remembrance of all the people that lived for him. But in the end, it talks about those and it gives no names of people who were beaten and scourged and they were, they were you know, it talks about all manner of, of, of persecution. And he says these have, have, have had these things happen to them. They have built up an inheritance. They have built up something that, that nothing can take away, that fire can't take or, or death can't take. That's the kind of thing that, that God is talking about when we don't refuse God, we're storing up for us an inheritance. No rivals, no refusals. Let's keep reading. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish or what king when he sets out to meet another king in battle will not sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming with 20,000 or else when he's still far way off does he not send a delegation and ask for terms of peace here's Jesus doing what he does best and illustrating for us what he's talking about no rivals no refusals and thirdly no retreating no retreating We cannot, cannot get to the point where something else is bigger than God in our lives. 
We cannot get to the point. Look what he says. He's talking about building um, a tower in the, in, the, in the fields. And basically why they built the tower was to watch for people who would steal and, and take. But it was also to, to keep watch over predators and those kind of things. And it was, it was an important and an essential part. And basically there was no need for you to even have a vineyard if you didn't have a tower with which to watch over, a tower with which to keep watch over. And basically it says that he would build it, get about halfway and say, I'm done. He has the Wade mentality. I start something and can't finish it. Cherry will tell you that she has about 12 pages of a honeydew list and I've done two things on said list. She jokes that our kids will have kids by the time I've done and won't even be any need to fix that room up for the kid because he'll have already lived in it. And, and, and that's me. I start something sometimes and, and I won't finish it and that's, and that's fine and it's funny when it comes to small things, but what about our faith? What about our faith? What, what about when times get tough and, and bad things start to happen and we say to ourselves, you know what, instead of just believing this and living this, I'm just going to say no. And I'm just going to walk away. You know what that does? Look what it says. It says that, that people walk and they, they mock and, and they ridicule. People look at our lives. And based on our lives, they judge whether or not what we believe is real. Whether that's right or wrong, that's the world we live in today. And it scares me to think that I might have done something or I might have walked away or I might have given up and to the point that I might have driven somebody away from the faith. That, that, that scares me. More than anything else. We cannot retreat. But you know what else this means? It means we can't live in fear. We can't live in fear. We can't get to the point where we see something coming and, and we get scared and we say, you know, I'm just going to give up. We have to press through it. The Christian life is not easy and if anybody has told you that it is, they lied to you and I'm sorry and I apologize for them. We cannot retreat when things get scary. I'm a scaredy cat. I mean, we've duly noted when I was six, uh, we lived in a, um, a small house, and my grandmother lived across the cornfield in, in, a, in another house. And half the year wasn't a problem because the corn wasn't there. It's not scary if there's no corn in it. And so I'd have to walk through the field to go to my grandmother's house, no problem. But when the corn was tall and I was young, that's very scary. And I got a phone call. My cousin Kyle was watching me, which... Nobody knows why they allowed that little boy to watch me. Because he didn't really watch me, he just messed with me. You ever had somebody in your life, they just mess with you. And we got a call and they said, well, you need to come over. Your mom can't come pick you up. You need to walk through the field and, and come home. And I'm like, that ain't going to happen. You know? And I just think, not that it might not, it ain't going to happen. And so my cousin thought to himself and he said, all right, I know how to get Wade through the field. And he went into my room and I believed anything my cousin said. I mean, I trusted him with everything. And he went into the, my room and he pulled out this little plastic gun and he said, Wade, this gun right here, if you keep it in your back pocket, nothing will touch you. Now, he's the one that told me earlier that the big tree in the field with the, with the old cemetery, that the devil lived in the fence. And if he said his name three times, he came out. But this, you know, now he's trying to be the protector. 
And so I put the gun in my back pocket and, and we started through the, through the, through the field and, and I could have gone by myself with no flashlight or nothing because I had that security uh, in, in my pocket. And, and he decided to grab that and run. And so midway through the field, he grabs it and runs and he's running around me and he's, he, as he runs, he goes, devil, devil, devil. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's over. You know, it, I don't know what's going to happen, but it ain't going to be good. And he's walking around me the whole time going, I see you. And I'm like, you know, who sees me? And finally, he jumped out from behind me and, and, and scared me. After He's like, I'm just me. I'm just kidding. And I did the move called the fetal position. And that's my, that's my defense move. You know, it's boom, right there. You know, roly-poly. That's what I did, you know. And then, you know, I, I opened my eyes because I was scared to death. And I looked up, and it was just him. And he was laughing at me. And I, and I thought to myself, you know, how, how crazy is it that I was so scared of something that didn't exist and the, and the thing with which I was scared of is, is him? That's the thing, man. We... We get too scared of stuff that really don't matter. We get too scared of stuff that, in the grand scheme of things, just don't matter. We have been given eternal life through Jesus our Lord. We have been given eternal life. If we believe in God and have given God our lives, we have eternal life. Eternal living with God in heaven. That sounds good to me. And yet we worry about such trivial things. We, we focus and we put our efforts and our thoughts and our desires on things that just don't matter. And God's telling us, don't, don't retreat, don't give up, don't run away. Dr. Charles Lyons, who's a pastor in, in Chicago, inner city Chicago, I heard him preach in chapel when I was in seminary, and he made this statement. He said, the quota for wimpy Christians has been met. And I thought about that and it convicted me. He said, we don't need any more. He said, it's time for us as believers to be people with backbone, with pride in God, and trust in our Savior. No rivals. No refusals. No retreating. And lastly, let's look. Verse 33. So then, he sums it all up in a nice little package for us. None of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. And that word give up all means properly arrange. It means put your priorities in order. No rivals, no refusals, no retreating. Lastly, no regrets. I regret a lot of things in life. Pretty much the entire 80s, I regret. I regret my rat tail. I regret the acid wash jeans. I regret the surfer haircut that I thought looked cool that actually in no way should I regret my big thick glasses that I wore that just were, were terrible. I regret telling Todd Tyndall that he couldn't beat me up. I regret that because uh, he proved to me real quick that that was not true. I, uh, <laughs> I regret every girl I dated up until Cherry. Oh, my goodness. I look back now and I'm like, God, why was I an idiot? Why? Why? I regret those. You know what? I've never regretted, never given my life to God. I've never regretted it. Never. Never. I remember in college when, when, I, when I said, God, you have all of me. All of me. You can have it all. And I remember going back to school and being excited. Man, I'm, I'm ready to tell everybody about Jesus. And I told them, and they didn't like it. And I remember sitting in the cafeteria at our school, and our school is big. It's about 24,000 people. And I remember sitting in the cafeteria by myself in a, in a, at a table, and uh, they were off. 
at the other table we used to sit at, and they were giggling and joking about the Jesus boy that you know, they pretty much turned their back on. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I didn't sign up for this. And I remember God speaking to me, don't, don't ever regret losing little things because big and greater things are coming. I mean, I, ha- I, I have so much. I have so much. That looking back on it now, I almost laugh at the fact that that bothered me. I don't regret my wife and I struggling with getting pregnant. I don't. Because if, if I did, I would never have had Abigail. We would have never had the joy of Abigail. We would have never had the joy of realizing that God can do anything He wants. And when He gave us Samuel, never regretted it. Never, ever regretted it. God said He does give us the peace of God which passes all understanding. This morning, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't. But I know that we serve a God that can fix all things. He can cure all things. He can control all things. Do you realize we serve the God that by the very speaking, by the very voice, spun this world into orbit? Just by him, the first sermon ever preached was Genesis chapter 1, where God spoke and everything happened. By his very voice, we came into existence. That's the God that I serve, and that's the God that I will put over everything else. I am a disciple of God, not because I'm great and wonderful, but because I have chosen that my priorities will be God and everything else. And this morning, that is your call. Will you say, I will give God everything? You want to know what a, what a child of God looks like? A pastor of mine said, look at his date book and his checkbook. And I'm not calling for money. Please don't, please don't misunderstand. But where you put your time and where you put your resources is what you truly believe. I taught our students a math problem last week. What you say you believe plus what you do equals what you really believe. What you say you do. What you say you believe plus what you do equals what you really believe. And so my question this morning is, what do you really believe? Because I believe in a God that loves you passionately and has died to save you. Father, we thank you for this day and this time. And God, I'm thankful for many things, but I'm thankful for the cross. I'm thankful that you didn't stay dead, that you didn't stay on that cross, that you, uh, that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. And you loved us so much. You loved us so much. That you didn't allow us to stay in that pitiful, horrible state we were in. God, I pray for each one here this morning. Whatever, God, they're going through in their life, whatever's going on, God, whatever rivals they have in their life, I pray, God, that this morning they confess them, that they give them up. Whether, God, they come forward or, or not, whether they stay in their seat, it doesn't matter to me. It matters only to you. It matters about their heart. And so, God, I pray that if there are rivals in people's lives, that they'll confess them. That, God, if they've been refusing you, if they've been refusing to listen to your call, that, God, they'll realize your word says that you have what's best for us and that you desire the best for us. And so, God, whatever they're refusing you, God, I pray right now that they'll confess that to you. 
And God, if there's anybody here who's retreated, who has said, I give up on this or this ain't for me, that God, they'll realize it's, it's not about a checklist of what to do and what not to do. God, it is about a heart and where your heart is pointed. And so God, if there's anybody here who's retreated, I, I pray this morning that they will see your word and they will respond to it. And God, I pray if there's anybody here who's thinking that this, this life, that they need to regret it. God, I need I remind them that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That we were, uh, as Revelation says, naked, poor, wretched, and blind in your sight. It says, but God, but God, while we were still sin, he died for us. God, I thank you that you didn't leave me the way that I was. And I'm not perfect. Oh, man. But God, you're making me more and more like you every day. I pray, God, that you have this time, whether, God, people need to respond publicly or not, that, God, you get all the glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.